Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. We are delighted to be partnering once again with the Still Voices Film Festival to bring you a series of podcasts. In this episode, Neve Creeney talks with five artists whose films are screening in the dance short film competition. So yeah, I suppose I'll start off and just say I'm Neve Creeney. Uh, I'm a former editor of Film Ireland magazine and I also had a Aerial Circus Theatre Company as well. So you can say when it comes to film and uh, dance and movement, I'm generally a fan. So there's that. So that's me anyway. Good, lovely to be talking with all of you this evening. Um, You guys are all part of the Short Dance Film Festival, which uh, you've all been selected for, uh, for this year. This is actually the sixth one this year. And Megan and Jessica Kennedy of uh, Junk Ensemble, you guys, um, your film In Velvet was selected. Then we also have Deborah Light. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> um, so Deborah Light is a director choreographer for I'm Sure or Time. Then we also have Sean Fitzgerald Ahern and Emily Lurich. Is that right? Yeah, yes, perfect. Hello. So they are the director choreographer performers for On Mending. Thank you so much. Um, I watched your films today and it was really fab. I think your three films. Um, are going to be part of a screening with, I think it's uh, quite a few other films as well. I think it's 10 films or so together, but um, getting to see them together, there were just so many many comparisons that I was making between them. So I suppose um, I'd love to start off asking about location and landscape, because that seems to have been a really, really big part of uh, the inspiration and the starting point for your films. Um, I might ask uh, Emily and Sean, your location is obviously fundamental. So was that part of where the film came from in the first place or was it just part of it? So when we were thinking about location, I think our early ideas for the piece, it was always outdoors um, and actually quite a bit of our narrative arc that we were planning had to do with um, you know, we knew we wanted a hill, we knew we wanted this sort of tumbling down to a lower location, and we knew we wanted a water feature near the end. It, originally, it was a lake, but it was first uh, of June in the Dolomites, so it was, everything was icy. Um, but yeah, we were, we created it in residence in a small town in Italy, so we sort, we sort of had that as our it's not so much of a limitation, but that is our inspiration. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, we started to discuss what it was that we wanted to make together and the, the concepts that we wanted to explore and the landscape in which we filmed it, the locations, they came later. <clears throat> we knew where, because we were granted a residency in Northern Italy, we knew where we would be and what would sort of like uh, physically make sense um, mm. as opposed to flying somewhere else in the world to film it, that we would stay pseudo local. In the beginning, we were discussing filming um, in Sicily, um, but then it made more sense to stay in those mountains. And and as we developed the physical script of the film, these vast landscapes that are in the area, these mountains, uh, they they began to solidify something that made more and more sense um, with the, the, the narrative, the script. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. You say the Dolomites in Italy, is that right? 
Because yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't have the kind of I don't know color or something uh, that I would expect from Italy. I think it's very green looking to me. Um, so yeah, that's that's surprising that it was uh, in Italy. Um, I suppose I could ask um, Megan and Jessica. You um, you did in Velvet, which was a film that was commissioned by is it the Irish um, the Irish Art Center, Art Center in, in New, New York. York? But whereabouts is it shot? It's in, shot Dublin. in Dublin. Dublin. Yeah, I thought yeah. so. I didn't. I didn't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ever, it's in in through a number of locations. Phoenix Park, which some people might recognise, where the deer, um, and a tire shop in Harold's Cross. Um, mm. on locate the only interior location is um a house nearby. Yeah. Um, so it was it was it was shot during the pandemic. So, um, we were sort of limited with interior locations, but in fact, it was a blessing in disguise that we did mostly exterior. And the we idea had a pool of, as well, swimming pool. So, pretty much the location actually had a huge impact on the the final film. Then, yeah, I mean, it, it was we chose the locations um, before. The, um work sort of through the script um it was our first time writing a script mm. um I and mean, we're not you know we're choreographers working mostly in live performance um live theater so film is um relatively new for us um and we had not written a film script before so we worked with a um a script consultant and um and he helped John Mickleduff who's a, also a filmmaker and he helped us integrate the idea of the, um location and moving through stories um sorry moving through the journey um to to these different places so that partly influenced why we were choosing these but definitely the 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 concept for the the child on the beach alone um and the the deer in velvet those two locations were automatically in, inferred because of the script um so we wanted this sense of abandonment of desolate landscape of no one being around something that was slightly urban but mostly at the sense of of rural um even in dublin yeah and so um Deborah, your film um absolutely i mean it couldn't be more connected with the location it is the story uh, being told through the locations so which that is that where the original concept came from yeah i mean we started off um with an interest in this town called fairborn um on the west coast of wales in cardigan bay um that is likely to become the first uk town to be decommissioned due to sea level rise right um and, but, um, I mean, Fairbourn has attracted quite a lot of press and things like that, but it's not the only town along that, along that coast that is at risk. You know, there's a number, that, that's the one that has sort of hit, hit headlines and things, but there's a number of towns along there that, there are, that really are at risk. Um, but we, we felt like we wanted to tell a bigger story, um, because, partly because it's we're you know we're all based in Wales our work is always bilingual Welsh English um but we didn't want to tell the story of just Fairborn because it's not our story to tell we're, we're not from Fairborn um and we got very interested in the whole um of Bayi Caradigion and the history of how we have arrived at where we are really in terms of the coastline shifting um, and there's there's these incredible sites there, this sarn 
that looks like a road out to the sea, um, but it's actually a glacial moraine that was kind of laid down 20,000 years ago. So that's where we start. Almost sort of the marker of the beginning of, of our time, of our geological time. Um, and then we travel up to this forest that uh, the sea retreated and a forest flourished there. And then the sea came back in and flooded it. But now through storms and things, those trees have been re-exposed. And so there's, there's these stumps there now. Um, and then we get up to Fairbourne. So it's really this sort of journey through, through these, this zone that is in between land and sea. Because um, I, I can definitely say between the three films, the location is, you know, it's one of the characters. I mean, definitely in your film, yeah. it's kind of the main character yeah. and the, the people are very much uh, on, on it. They're placed yeah. on <laughs> the landscape yeah. um, and in the context of it. Um, so, of course, uh, I have to ask about music. I think it probably would have been different for all three of you in terms of where music would have come in the process. Um, can I maybe go back to um, Sean and, and Emily and ask you guys, where did the music, the creation of the music happen for you in the progress process? Yeah. We were in dialogue with a dear friend of ours, um, Bergen, who's a, a French composer living for a long time now in Sweden. And um, he was brought on early in the, in the idea, the concept development. Um, someone who Emily has worked with before and I had the joy of working with on this project for the first time. Um, and so we knew that we would have an original composition for the film. Um, and he was just an absolute inspiration to bounce sure. ideas back and forth with. So when we went into our creative residency, we already had uh, like concept of the the film script and so we were already in discussion with him about um you know what would a what would these yeah. topics sound like and then as we developed physical ideas in the studio we were sending him video he was sending us an exchange back and forth and he was really fantastic i mean i think many choreographers will agree with this, but we, we would sort of express ourselves in, in sound effects or in really weird, absurdist. We'd be like, could you make it a little bit dirt, like more gravelly, you know, <laughs> more dirty. And he, yeah. and, he, and he was like, for sure, for sure. And he'd come back a week later. And, and there were quite a few moments he really surprised us, you know, when, when suddenly there'd be a voice in a song and there were, We've, laid, we've, we've now turned the film into a live production and he continued the composition and it was really, you know, we'd, we'd run something and or the, as the edit was developing, he'd just add on these layers and it was constantly such a pleasure to, to see your work further brought to life by, by this other layer. Mm, that's great. Maybe we'll come back to that, actually, just the idea of, you know, having a film and then maybe it becoming something live afterwards as well. Um, and so then, uh, Megan and, and Jessica, um, how about you with in terms of the music? Whereabouts did it kind of? It came after we made the film. So um, it was it was it was scored once we gave not we, we gave a couple of, of rough cuts to Michael Fleming, he's the composer and he works mostly in film, but he's, he's, he's also composed for live dance um, on a number of occasions. Um, and so we started the dialogue with him pretty early on, described the tone of the film and what we thought the tone of the music should be. And then the different arcs 
but we we definitely decided that we wanted a sort of theme, a running theme through it, rather than just picking a, a bunch of different compositions. So we returned to this theme in various levels and layers, um, depending on the mood and the tone of the actual part of the film. And we chose the instrumentation with him. Um, we had a feeling for it before we shot the film, but of course um, that changes after you actually shoot it um, and kind of experience it um, but we worked on we, we spoke about specific instruments that we thought that would work for the composition and in terms of you know communicating with your performer about what it is that you might want to see so um in Megan and Jessica's film in Velvet, the performer is uh, it's a, a man and a, a very small child as well um, so in terms of communicating what you're looking for, you did you need to use music at all or would you have wanted to use music to communicate with to him? We did, yeah. We had to use one track over and over and over. It yeah. was the only <laughs> track that that the child that um who's my daughter um in the piece, Cesara, that it's she really responded to this to this track of music and it it doesn't it, everyone thought it was going to be in the in the in the film but of course it was nowhere near it so it's it's a track by bicep it's an electronic track which doesn't suit the film in any way but that was sort of what what was underneath her with Ryan it was different we could play different types of music for him if, if we use playback um but no we didn't really talk about uh, composition with with Ryan so much, or or with the other performer with with Janessa, um, they were they were happy to to trust that it would come later. We generally work with um we we generally put music um or so, the sort of sound design after the tone of the choreography has been developed. So we generally would um make movement whether through live or, or film but mostly through live is what I'm speaking about and, and then um uh and then the composer will respond to that so um we tend to we we prefer to create the mood or the tone um rather than having it sort of already self-imposed by the music so that, that's quite different then if you're if that's quite a different process one's much more more kind of you know we want to get the visual side first and then put music on it afterwards and um, can I ask you Deborah um how did the music kind of feature in, in your process yeah so our um composer is Sean Orgon he's quite a long-term collaborator both of me personally as an individual but also worked on other light lab Emberton um productions um and I mean, we didn't know we were making a film. Oh. <laughs> we were, we were, we were just researching these sites, um, and you know, quite a bit of that happened during COVID. It was like, well, let's just keep researching. Like we're going to work on something <laughs> um, while we can't actually produce anything. And um, you know, then a commission opportunity came up that was film, and and actually. It's like, well, how else do we tell this story? This story actually, it it, it is film. It, it's we can't bring these sites together any other way. But when we were in that research phase, we had asked Sean to create a sort of sketch track for us to be playing with. But this was before we knew it was going into a film soundscape. So we had this sort of rough, rough sketch of a track that covered these different time periods these different um modes um 
we'd given him a sort of timeline of, of the bay to work his way through musically. Um, and then we were sort of using that in a rough cut. And then once we had a final cut, we sent it back over to Sean for him to re-edit to the, to the cut. Okay, all right. And um, so you were saying, Sean and Emily, that um, you, is it that there is a live version? There, there has already been one or there will be one? Um, there already has been. So in Jul this past July, we were actually in the same, the same space that we are right now, ironically. Oh, very nice. <laughs> um, and we had applied for a grant to come and, you know, sort of do the, the opposite of what was happening quite a bit during COVID, which people were, you know, taking live works and adapting them for film. And so we sort of, we had the opposite trajectory in that we developed the script originally for film. And then it was actually already with, in the process of creating the film, we were, you know, sort of fell in love with our team. And there was a lot of, you know, cause the material that you use for film is, there's a, a conciseness that needs to happen. And we were, we developed a, you know, a ton of material, some of which didn't necessarily belong within the narrative of the film. And so we were already looking for opportunities for it to live sort of a, a different life. And it was, it was very interesting to be here and to, you know, I think to a degree we had to dissect the narrative of the film, sort of tease it apart and then not tell a different story. I think the heart of it is still very much there. Some of the material is still very much there, but it became much more a, a work of um, for a group. Whereas the, you know, the narrative of the film follows two specific characters. And I think the, the full piece, you know, there was enough time for it to follow different storylines and follow a community. Mm. How, uh, how long is the live show just out of curiosity 40 minutes yeah 35 40 minutes oh okay and so uh, sorry just remind me how long is the the film again it's uh, about 15 15 okay okay so that you do i suppose you have that extra kind of space in the live version to kind of expand a little bit yeah, yeah and dive deeper into the story of the members of the community that surround these characters in the film which for us was uh, really important from the beginning and sort of be about the community and their ability to sort of offer support even when they are going through something themselves. Um, but the, the no understanding the, you know, the length of film that we were aiming and able to create in the time and budget that we had, we knew that we needed to narrow down the film to just have it focused a bit more on one red thread and live version we had more space and and uh, you know patience of a live audience to investigate to, to shift the perspective around and understand how these different people one another something that just stood out to me maybe this is just my own kind of personal interest in these kinds of things but um i was really kind of fascinated by the kind of clothing and costume choices in all of the films actually um, so I don't know if that's something that uh, any of you guys have anything in particular to, to say. Um, I kind of feel like looking at kind of live dance shows versus watching dance film, I almost feel like costume, you just have that more up close quality of it. It's, it's more, it's so much more visually present for the person watching. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, maybe uh, yourselves or uh, Megan, Jessica. Yeah, we worked with a costume designer um, for the film. However, the f 
I think the costumes that a lot of it came down to the performers, um, which is unusual for when when we do live performance, it isn't that way at all generally. But the coat was the 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 tweed quote coat was sort of the signifying costume element for Ryan, and then we wanted Azara, the young child, to have more of an androgynous look, so that it was ambiguous whether she was a, a girl or a boy. So um, she's wearing a woolen sweater and a pair of overalls, and so th those were her clothes that were costumed by the costume designer. But the coat was really the one thing that that carried. Um, Ryan through and then for the older man the father figure um, it, it was it was pretty clear what he should be wearing you know it was as if he was just roused from bed um, I think he was wearing his own clothes though that's our father uh, so it was a <laughs> whole family affair um, and our great aunt knitted that jumper that is our little girl is wearing Gosh, that um, that actually really adds to it. <laughs> but just the the tweed coat that he's wearing. It, sorry, is that his coat or is that a coat that was designed? Because it does have quite a strong presence visually in it. Yeah, it was designed. Yeah, um, the costume designer is Sarah Foley. Um, so we 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 wanted him in a big coat. Uh, we wanted him. We wanted the um, the wind and the weather to move the coat around and the movement of, that he's um, performing, um, and that it there there's something uh, sort of trodden about it that it's had it's had its own life or it's its own story. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, Deborah, the I actually was really struck by what people are wearing in in your film because it's very practical, and that actually really stood out to me. Is that is there any um, are, were there any considerations other than practical considerations or? Yeah, we you know we wanted this like this practicality. We're we're in the land. We've you know we're walking out of the sea, um, but we bought quite a lot of jackets to find the right jackets <laughs> it's like we just want jackets that look you know look practical but but also um uh, eddie who wears the silver jacket she already owned that so when we'd been out sort of doing the research it was like that's one of the jackets just because of the way it reflects the light um uh, but also picks up on the rocks of the land um and then we wanted bits of geometry in them um so mine kind of had this these lines down but also a bit of this reflectiveness um and then jake's had these kind of almost mountain um geometry shapes so although i mean the aim was to kind of look like they're just practical but actually there was quite a lot of oh i know <laughs> into that the the, the yeah, sort of um yeah. how do we get that geometry coming through into the bodies um it, yeah yeah it's kind of it's hard in a way almost for me to articulate why I liked what they were wearing so much what you were wearing so much because I think quite often in dance it can be a little bit of case of well we need to be abstract or we need to be you know not wearing clothes or something like that and I think there was just something about the kind of groundedness and the the realness of what everybody yeah. was wearing that actually just worked really really well I, but I, all I, the I, colors were you know in the land as well yeah. so yeah. there was the gray of the rocks the blue of the sea the green of the trees and the mountains so the colors were all of that of that landscape yeah no I, I really really enjoyed that and um 
Yeah, so uh, yourselves as well, Sean and, and Emily, the, well, I mean, you probably, I'm assuming you have something to say about the costume because I feel like it, you, it really does play a part in the, the film. I mean, in, in stark contrast, we were not practical at all with our, with our costuming because it's really, it's freezing. You know, we oh, were, no. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, we, which sort of surprised, I think Italy in the middle of, you know, beginning of summer, we expected it to be warm, but between shots, we were like covered in blankets and then like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do it now and strip them. It's our costume designer design is beautiful, really you know, beautiful. natural fiber, you know, linen, mm. you know, uh, spaghetti strap sort of tank tops or a, a linen dress yeah. with a simple belt. And then we're literally lying in snow or frost <laughs> and the, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the practical reason for the costume design, one of them, is that we desired the experience that affects the characters to be marked in, in a visual way on their costumes so that there's this um, transformation. transformation, exactly, yeah. from the beginning to the end of the yeah. piece. I think there was some, certainly in the beginning, this, you know, the scene on the mountaintop with the sort of uh, miniature ballroom dancing, the importance of that scene feeling very pristine and clean and untouched, this sort of fantasy. And then, you know, the grit of life is, is the, the truth of it. We spoke about that a lot during the process, this fantasy versus reality versus what we're actually going through. Um, yeah. Yeah, it made it really tactile. It really did. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you'd feel the the kind of the dust. Um, <laughs> so yes, it works really well. And just um, to say, um, the look was practical. That still wasn't actually that practical. We were oh, still right. freezing <laughs> because because they were relatively tight fitting jackets. It's yeah. like you can't wear like six layers underneath. We were filming oh, no. in winter on the Welsh coast. <laughs> Yeah, that was it my was first, our first thought when we watched it. When you like, climb out of the water, we're like, oh. <laughs> I'm wearing a winter wetsuit underneath. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would have thought you'd almost need a, a winter wetsuit the entire time for the whole thing. Like, just constantly. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, casting, I mean, I think we've actually learned quite a lot from everybody already about the casting. Um, Jessica and Megan, you obviously uh, had a lot of family involved. Um, so how did you find um, your your main performer? How Well, one of your main performers. Um, how did he end up being involved in the uh, project? We've worked with Ryan um, uh, on a number of productions, live productions. He's a dancer based in Belfast, Brian O'Neill, um, works a lot with Punch Drunk um, and Una Dardy. Um, and we hadn't worked, we hadn't worked with him in film actually, but he's got, um, we just, we've seen him in, you know, in photos or, or stills that we've done ourselves. And he, um, he has a very good face, um, in terms of actually like embodying emotion. And, um, so he was sort of an obvious character for us. Um, and then. There was another obvious one, which is Megan's young child, which was a lot harder for her because she was trying to direct and mother at the same time. And we we had a chaperone um, on set the whole time, but there are there were disturbing points for Zara and she was cold, she was wet. Um, and she didn't like being she didn't like a bloody face in her face. Um, so there were times where yeah we Megan would have to go off and um and I would continue on so that, that was she would difficult. have been happy if we just did half a day shoot 
she would have been grand. <laughs> um, but in terms of the the character that we chose, it was it was written. So we always had this idea that we wanted this this sense of a of a father potentially father abandoning his his daughter to come back to her and again we really wanted this idea of ambiguity ambiguity between all of the the characters um but we thought that the relationship was necessary for it to be a, a father and a and a daughter um rather than the other way around um and so that that just determined our casting um i knew that um that Azara wasn't going to be young forever. So throw her up on that screen <laughs> while we can. No, um, it's it's beautiful, it really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so in terms of the, the casting then for yourselves, for um, Sean and Emily, um, it's so you guys are directors, choreographers, and also in it as well. Were the people you working with other performers that you danced with in the past, or how did you find them? So when we got this residency where we developed the film, we had you know we applied for the residency with a completely different team, except for one of our dancers, who she she was the one that actually had availability during a specific time. So when we found out that we got the residency and that our project was approved, we went through a period of time where we had to find new a new team essentially. Because and, the schedule was different from what it was originally. Proposed. And freelancers and you know travel restrictions. And there were so many, so many things to account for. And I brought in Two, two, two of them were of my connections and two of them were of Sean's connections. So two of the dancers I didn't know stepping into the project and same for Sean. And I would, I'll speak for both of us. We really lucked out because now they've, they essentially became family. You know, when we got at the studio, we did, we quarantined for five days. And for all of us, it was really the first time we could be physical in the studio with each other because all of us had such tight restrictions where we were working at the time. So we really... Yeah, became a small family after that. And uh, yourself, Deborah, and um, you, it was yourself and um, was it Light Lad Emberton? Is it the three yeah, of you so, that were in so, it as well? Um, so Light Lad Emberton is a, is a company that I co-direct that we're a project funded company. Um, and so we did, uh, that's me, Deborah Light, Eddie Ladd and Gwen Emberton. Um, and so the, the project was sort of developed between the three of us um, together with our producer at the time, Laura Drain. Um, but schedules, of course, you know, was COVID kept shifting, everything kept just moving. And actually we ended up with shoot days that Gwyn couldn't make. Um, so we had another performer join us, Jake Norgu, who has worked with us before, um, you know, it's based in Wales. That felt really important. That it was someone from from here, um, and also, you know, it felt quite important to that it wasn't. If we were bringing someone else in who wasn't me, Eddie and Gwyn, we wanted someone who who doesn't have the same um, heritage as us. You know, Jake is Jake is a black man, and that felt really valuable to the project um you know jake that's not 
in any way at all why why we brought Jake in, but it feels like it's also valuable to that to that narrative. You know, we're telling a story that is impacting many people around the world in many different ways. And I think it's important for this for this story that it isn't just a white perspective. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so you guys, did you all get a chance to watch each other's films? Yeah, definitely you... thought Evelyn was really cold in all of those films. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my first thoughts. No, I absolutely loved the the um, the tumbling down the hill in um, on mending um the dust that's flying up and just the the visceral reaction that I felt seeing that and then in the final shot of of your film Deborah it's absolutely stunning and the and the swivel of the camera the tilt um kind of petrified me which I was just sitting in my chair and it's yeah it's a petrifying really exciting moment I have a question for Sean and Emily um do you prefer the film over live production or do you you know are there things that you love about one and um you weren't so happy with another um it's funny because in my head they I think we were successful in that they feel very separate from one another and also there's you know, about a year distance between these two points. And so we were very different people, not very different people, but, you know, a lot can happen in a year. And the film, I think, will always be dear to me because it it captures very perfectly what that time felt like. And I think this is what's so beautiful about film, extra beautiful about dance on film is it's it's pristine in what it is and we learned so much through the process and uh, it's a work I'm extremely proud of. And it, it, it is, um, it's a picture of that time and of, of what that was. And in contrast to that, the live work is, is like a, a beating, active, changing heart. And it felt fluid and as with, you know, at the beauty of life performance, it changed. and. We got to perform it twice in New York and both shows were very different. And so the, you know, you get sort of what you can't have with film, which is that it changes with the moods in the room. And uh, yeah, both very, very special. Yeah, I, um, I think that the, the, for me, the film has this sense of a time capsule and it is something that I can view um, and that's has beauty of itself um, but there's as Emily was alluding to this <clears throat> in the live work I mean we brought in a whole bunch like tons of dirt into the space the entire space was in white canvas and it started pristine and at the end everything's completely destroyed and um it, it, it's at times difficult for me being in the work and directing and choreographing awesome. and trying to uh figure out all of the production elements and everything and we had a wonderful team who you know pushed all that forward but there's something about the live version that feels like i am once the 
show starts, I, I'm just one little piece of it. It's true. And it's alive without me, with or without me. Mm. Um, and that's something that I really appreciate about the, the live work, that it, it seems to have its own life. Yeah, I was definitely going to ask about the dirt. I was like, I need to know if there was the dirt and the dust in the live version because I was like, I feel like it's just essential. <laughs> there, it, it was, was very, very much there. We actually used um, sustainably sourced peat moss, um, so it's not actual dirt, but it essentially looks like dirt. Um, it yeah. produces quite a, a bit of atmosphere when it's we were we were cleaning it out of our noses and ears for like weeks after the project because for you know we had it we had a two-week residency in the first week we were peat free and the second week we just had the dirt in the space with us so we were rolling around in it every day and you're just it was quite quite visceral very intense yeah. just smell like you're smoked constantly <laughs> Yes, yep. for sure, for like sure. A glass of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I really enjoyed the uh, the very kind of physical, visceral part of, uh, I'm sure, uh, slash time, um, when you're digging the, the holes in the sand as well. So I'm presuming there was also sand to be found <laughs> in many places yeah. after that as well. Yeah. And seaweed as well. And Lots seaweed. Yeah. Yeah, and we had we had big challenges with the tide. Mm. Ah. So our shoots had to be timed very precisely with the tides. And we only had a few hours, uh, like on, on both where these stumps are, we only had a few hours. Wow. Because they're, they're only revealed at low tide on a, on a spring tide. So we were also fit. That's part of the reason why the schedules were so, couldn't be very flexible because we had to shoot on particular days when they were on a spring tide. Wow. Absolutely. And um, so you said before that, you know, the piece is obviously completely and utterly tied to location. Have you had any thoughts at all about maybe ways that, uh, I don't know, of course, the first thing that springs to my mind is projections or something like that. Like, have you thought at all about how it might be possible to maybe, you know, somehow bring the space? Elsewhere? I mean, we, we have, we kind of, did a bit um and it feels like you know it feels like there's a there's some knowledge and research there that doesn't didn't necessarily get fulfilled in the film um which you know that was we found it quite complicated in the edit of where to put place text um uh, to, to sort of get a bit of information about each of these sites across but without interrupting the flow of the landscape and the bodies through that landscape um and so we sort of ended up with these a little bit of text as you hit each site and then a bit more at the end of a sort of end board of a little bit of poetry but that also sort of ties you back into the narrative really of each of those three sites um but yeah, it feels like there's there was some research there that wasn't necessarily quite fulfilled. Um, can I ask from the when you guys were heading heading into this this project, was it clear the three locations, or was it? Did you have other options, or right from the start you were you were set on those three? 
it was it was I mean we we started with an interest in Fairbourne in this this town that will will be decommissioned um and then there were these sites that I had never visited but that I knew of and as soon as I sort of went there I was like well this is this is part of the story this is they're, they're tied together because they also tie into which is maybe a bit that doesn't come it, it's it, I think it's there for people from Wales who know the legend um but there's a reference there to Cantra Gwaelod which is a lost a mythical lost land it's a bit like the Atlantis um story but off the coast of Wales and this sarn is said to be the road to mm. Cantra Gwaelod um, and the trees are sort of these stumps are quite often sort of cited as proof that it existed but actually geologically it you know we we talked with an archaeologist um a geoarchaeologist and he sort of talked us through the geological timelines and that it doesn't tie in with when the myth was supposed to happen so so these things are cited as proof of this lost land but actually the timelines don't don't match each other um but this it, it was very interesting in this kind of how myth myth and reality interweave um yeah and for there to be soon to be some actual lost land yes <laughs> so, yeah absolutely yeah like, and uh, things about power in there of you know the king apparently escaped down the sun and everyone else drowned and it's like okay. right. Who, who who gets to survive these yeah these tragedies um that was watching oh sorry just just watching it uh there was you know and it's it's sort of the digging and a little bit also this wandering quality there's this search mm. you know whether it's a search for meaning or a search for these things that have been lost that was really a big something yeah. i picked up on on all of the this inevitable loss of the town yeah it was very beautiful um so i think we, we've kind of covered a lot which is fantastic Um, i suppose we've kind of talked about it here and there though throughout the whole thing so um just in relation to the pandemic and COVID, and how, that seems to have had an impact on pretty much everybody's productions at this point now so i don't know if there's anything in particular that uh, strikes you guys now i mean has it changed things in any way permanently in this landscape of like dance film has it made is there any benefit now in terms of there was a greater emphasis put onto it because of the pandemic what do you guys think sorry i should have said jessica do you want to go first oh. <laughs> um i think it, it, i mean it did force us um to move into another realm or another um art, art form um in a sense and um and that that helped us sort of grow um, and, and evolve our, our, our experience of that. And in that sense, it's been really useful and productive. Um, and it, um, getting commissioned, but also sort of working with, you know, working with the film crew, all of this sort of opening up the language. Um, and we were doing a couple of films, as I'm sure everyone was, you know, that we were sort of, again, it felt like we were forced into that but um but it was something that we welcomed with open arms um I, my medium would still my preferred medium would still be live 
performance um, and working in that sort of um, this is something that has so much more of a process and kind of constantly building. But I think it's really interesting um, to have both. Yeah. And sorry, uh, Sean, you were going to say something there? Uh, something less important. I was just re referencing the fact that we're all here meeting on Zoom. I mean, yes. if you had asked if there was some sort of lasting impression from the pandemic, and I, I think it's, of, of course, there are many different directions in which our art form and our lives were, were um, affected, and we will continue to feel that. And I think that, you know, as artists, we are particularly good at working within constraints and being creative and finding new solutions because our budgets are always on fire and our, you know, everything's burning down around us. And we still are, have this drive to uh, create and to make something that's in some way meaningful, hopefully. And the pandemic was no exception to that. It, it, it asked us, it forced us to create a new way. And film was one of those ways that were, that, that, that was sort of brought to the forefront. Um, and uh, yeah, Emily and I, had the opportunity to it or the original concept that was asked for was to create a live work in the residency that we applied for um, and we actually counter proposed that we would make a film um, so we had the residency to that was originally designed to be a live work and we had a sort of in progress showing um, but we knew from the beginning that actually um, we would take this opportunity to make something. And of, of course it's influenced heavily by the exhaustion of everything being canceled and delayed and postponed. Yeah. And like, is it gonna happen? Nobody knows. So it seemed like, you know, a sort of practical thing, but also um, I know particularly my interests really uh, resonate with, with film and creating a cinematic landscape rather than uh, solely uh, live stage work. Um, that's my background and of course my heart still beats um, for live work but uh, yeah, I think it um, like Jessica was saying it's it, it, it encourages us there and it's it's not the the only thing in the future but uh, yeah it's it's beautiful to feel that sort of expansion come out of uh, something that feels like you're stuck in a box but actually your world grows great. And how about you, Deborah? Do you have any thoughts on that? Or <laughs> I think one of the things that has has shifted for us um, is maybe the care that we take around the people who we're engaging, and 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 the care for each other. Of um, you know, during COVID, it was like you show up if you can show up, and if you don't, that's fine because you can't because you've got other shit going on. <laughs> um, and um, that that kind of not not a doesn't make the work any less important, but the valuing of the people who we're bringing to the work, and you know, trusting them if that if they say they can't work that day, they can't work that day. You don't push it, or um, you know. That, that care of actually what what can people bring to this and how can they be the best you know well bring bring who they want to be to the work and sort of, yeah yeah 
I'm sorry, uh, Megan, do you have anything you want to say at all there? Or? Um, we did a, a, a short film in the very beginnings of, of lockdown. We worked with the same DOP. So I think that that was the beginning of where we went with In Velvet. And, um, you know, we did it on on a grand um and you know um and a lot of of help from from everyone else and a lot of loyalty and um i think it was it was a stepping stone and then within velvet um we also counter proposed like you were saying sean um with a, a an idea of a commission and we came back to them and said this is what we'd like to do and it was a safe thing to do at the time because you can you can put something else on film. And um, I love the reach of it. I love how far it can reach and people can just sit in their own home or their own cinema and watch it. We can have discussions like this. And it's just not possible with live performance um, at, at the minute and I think in general. So I think there's, there's huge benefits to it. Um, and we'll definitely do another one after this. And yeah. Yeah, and get some get some more help with, with the script. <laughs> yeah. It was really, really great to to get to see your films. Really fantastic. Um, I'm so happy I got to see them. And they are going to be screening on November 9th. And this is at the Still Voices Film Festival in Ballymahan, County Longford. Yeah, thank you so much. Really, really enjoyable films. And um, like you're saying, Megan, it's so great that we even just get to talk like this and talk to each other about the process. So um, thank you yet again. Thank you all. Yeah, yeah. Everyone.